Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. Taught by our teacher, John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are now going to continue our study of, in Joshua chapter 7. We left off last week in which we saw what happens when you let sin come into your life and sin comes into your life in violation of God's will because God had warned Joshua. He warned him, when you take Jericho, no, you keep nothing of precious value. No gold, no silver, no gems, nothing. You don't take anything. Anything that has value has to be turned over to God's treasury. And we see that we find out that Achan took gold and silver and garments and secreted it. Uh, and as a result of this, when the, the people of Israel went out to take the city of Ai, as a result of the fact that they had violated God's will, God was not with them. God did not protect them. God did not lift them up. And instead, they suffer a horrible defeat, a horrible defeat. And now they're devastated in the defeat. And right on the heels of the great success of, the, of Jericho, right on the heels where the walls of Jericho are brought down by God, we see what happens, how right, right after the greatest moments of success in your life, that you don't go back and, and put yourself before God. You don't humble yourself before God. You don't consecrate yourself before God. And instead, what happens? You go out and you do your own thing because after all, look at me. I'm smart. I'm talented. I'm gifted. Look at this great victory. We can take I We can take it with one hand tied behind my back. We don't even have to send the same number of soldiers out. And, of course, we see what happens. Utter utter defeat uh, and so we we need to look first of all at the root causes of the of defeat uh, why they why they were defeated and what lessons that is for us in life and the first thing you see is that Israel has sinned they have violated the covenantal command of God this is what you will do when you do X I will be with you when you listen to me and you follow my will you will do it and you see that. And so what you see here, uh, as, as God punishes Israel, punishes the entire nation for the sin of this one man, and we're going to talk about why that took place. That won't take place today, but it's important that you understand that. We see the nature of unconfessed sin. I want to make sure we understand this. Unconfessed sin. Many of you have said to me, I don't understand why God is not using me. I don't understand why I don't have a ministry. I don't understand why I'm not, I'm not seeing certain blessings in my life. And all I can tell you is, and this is a discussion that you have to have, that you need to do, and that is that most likely, most likely, there is some part of your life that is not in accord with God's will. Most likely. This is a deeply private aspect of your life. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that you can only really get to by being on your knees and asking God to uh, illumine you. And I would suggest that many of us know what these issues are. We know what they are. We know about those private closets in our mind uh, and in our heart, the kind of thing where, you know, everybody else knows this part about me, but they don't necessarily know this part about me. But here's the clue, guys. God knows that part about you. 
God knows that part of you. So even when you think you've secreted that one element of your life, no, you haven't. No, you have not. God sees it. And so if there are not, if you're not seeing blessings and ministries and opportunities to serve him, I commend that to you because what happens is you develop spiritual weakness. Now, listen to me. Spiritual weakness. It doesn't mean you're not saved. Let's understand that. You're saved. You've given your heart to God. But now in your spiritual walk, you've cluttered up your life. You fill these closets in your life with a lot of garbage. All right. And so what's happening? You're not getting clarity. You're not getting strength because God is not blessing you in your walk. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. As you know, that I, I want to weave the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Ephesians chapter four. Verse twenty nine. We'll start with that. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helping for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Underline that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Hey, Paul, are you talking to me? Are we talking about Christians here? Is this a letter to Christians? Is this a letter to the church? Oh, yeah, boys. This is a letter to the church. These people are saved. You understand what we're talking about? I want to reiterate this. These people are saved. And look what he's talking about here. Yes, they've accepted Jesus Christ. They've accepted God. But look at the garbage that can come into your life, even as a Christian, starting with unwholesome talk. Oh, unwholesome talk. You lifting other people up or you slandering other people? Are you gossiping? You just think about that. Uh, But the only kind of talk that should come out of your mouth is that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Look, this is an important point I want to emphasize to you. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God. What does that mean? You heard me say over and over again that when you are saved, when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... That you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God puts that spark in your life. It is effectively the essence of God himself that's in your heart. All right? And now you know. You know the difference of right and wrong. And here's what happens when you have the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is pricked. The things that you were able to do before you were a Christian. Now you can do it. But man, you just don't feel quite as good. You know what I'm talking about. You see somebody cut you off in traffic. The old you wanted to race up next to them and flip them some kind of signal. (laughs) That happened to me on the way to church on Sunday. And instead I stayed back calmly and I said the old me would have gone after that guy. And then he made the turn going down Orange Blossom. I said, hmm, I wonder if he's going to church. (laughs) Luckily for him, he did not. 
But here's the point. You understand? See, even as somebody that's teaching the Bible and mentoring other people and leading them, you still have these urges. They're there. Don't look and say, oh, yeah, he doesn't know. Look at him. He's a Bible teacher. He's got the Bible in his hand. He doesn't know. Believe me, I know. Believe me, I know. We're all walking in the same path. None of us is above the none of us are above these issues. And that's why God is giving us these examples in our lives to show you what happens. And so grieving the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means that there's secret sin, iniquity in your life that's not right. That's not right. That's not in accord with God. And what happens? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. He's not happy. He's not blessing you. He's not giving you ministry. He's not using you. Why? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and look at the kind of things that cause that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. I mean, really. You know, that's, that's pretty much our human resume right there, isn't it? It's our human resume. And instead, be kind and compassionate. Forgiving each other, just as, as Christ forgive us, forgave us. And so you see it. You understand this, uh, how God wants us to live. Go back a few more pages to 1 John, the epistle of John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's verse 5. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There it is. You want to walk in the light? You want to be with Jesus? You want to have that light? It's a life of sanctification. It's a life of prayer. It's a life of asking God to look at your heart and ultimately confession. Ultimately asking God to come in. And one of the things you're going to see here is that Achan never confessed he was found out. He was found out, but he never confessed. And without confession, there is not true repentance. And so you see this. And so uh, now God is giving Joshua directions. How do I fix this? How do I turn this around? We're here. We want, we want to serve you, God. We want to take the promised land. We want to be the kind of people that you want us to be. How do we do this? And so God makes it very clear as to what the antidote is. What's the answer? And it's found in Joshua chapter 7. Go back to Joshua 7 and look at verse 13. Go, and this is God now, go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. And that is sin. You cannot stand against the enemies of God. You cannot stand against Satan. 
You cannot stand against this world if you have sin in your life, if you have unconfessed sin. And so you see this. So Joshua was told to sanctify the people and to consecrate them, to deal with the problem. Uh, He was to call their attention to the cause of defeat. This is why you were defeated. You have sin in your heart. You've allowed something to go on that is against the will of God. So you need to prepare your hearts. You need to recognize that you're not in accord with God's will. And so how does God do it? God says, we're going to go man by man, tribe by tribe, family by family to find out the root cause of the sin. You see that in verses 16 through 21 of Joshua, how, how, how they go effectively tribe by tribe and clan by clan, and they go through a situation in which they use lots to find out the will of God and make it very clear who is violating God's will and how it's, how it's taking place. This is the process of discovery as God is going through and discovering the sin. Remember, Achan doesn't come forward. Achan doesn't confess. Achan doesn't repent. Achan is sitting there. Most likely Achan is saying this, good, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. They'll never find me. There's a couple of million people here. Who's going to know about the few things I stuck in the ground in my backyard? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and go with the flow. How many of us think that's how, how we can get away with God? You know? Come on. I'm better than most people. Who's going to know about these things in my life? All right? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Nobody. Oh, these guys in church will never realize that. They don't see that. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Well, here's what happens. God knows. And your life is not blessed. And defeat enters your life. And you see it over and over and over again in Scripture. And you see it clearly here. Uh, And so what you see is God gave direction to Joshua so that sin... This sin would be found by supernatural means. Supernatural means. And Achan would be discovered, uh, and he did not come forth voluntarily, and he did not repent. Uh, and it's, it's so important as we study that, and as we see that. Uh, and, and so I want you to see this, and you look here. Verse 19 in chapter 7, then Joshua said to Achan, this is after the discovery process, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done and do not hide it from me. I presume as I read that, that the the lots that they had taken all of a sudden pointed it's you. You're the one. You're the one. And I can imagine Achan is sitting there now being discovered. God has discovered him. God has seen the sin in his life. God has recognized you are the person. You are responsible. Your sin has caused the defeat of this entire nation. Uh, 36 men have died because of your sin. And so you see this now. And then in verse 20, Achan replied. Look at the reply. It's not a good one. Uh, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. So, I mean, first of all, you don't see him throwing himself and say, forgive me, God, have mercy on me, Lord. Please, God, forgive me. I was I lost my mind. I should never have done it. What a failure I have been. No, you don't see that. And I submit to you that this is how a lot of us act. Even when we're discovered, it's almost like, well, it wasn't my fault. You know what I mean? 
Oh, I have I have certain proclivities. I have I have a we, I have a weakness. You know, I have a weakness. I have a proclivity. Yes, I understand. Well, maybe I got involved in affairs, but you know what? I can't help myself. I'm attracted to women. God made me that way. Oh, God made you that way. Okay. Oh, so it's God's fault. It's God's fault. Right? You know, it's like the old Flip Wilson show. Remember, the devil made me do it. Yeah, I didn't really do it. He made me do it. And, and, and now you, you're seeing this with Achan. Uh, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Can you imagine? It's greed. It's covetousness. That's what it is. I saw it. I liked it. I wanted it. Oh, man. Uh, And how much of our sin life is like this? How much of it, even though we know we're wrong, even though we know we're violating God's will, even though we know we're saved, and even though we know what God wants from us, we still decide, well, you know what, I'm weak. I'm weak. Aren't I entitled to some of this stuff after all? Come on. What's the big deal? Can God be that strict? Can he be that strict? What the heck? I'll stick it in the ground in the tent. Nobody will know about it. This is, you know, we're going to move on. Well, let me tell you something. This is exactly what happened with Eve at the Garden of Eden. The same thing. Eve. And a very good example of this is David. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And here is the prototypical example of covetousness and lust by someone who should never have fallen. Here is David, a man who ultimately would be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Here is David with all the gifts that he had been given. The fact that he would be the king of Israel. uh, The fact that he would write uh, all the Psalms. The fact that he would be God's man. And yet, look what happens. Look what happens. Look how simple it is to fall in violating God's will. And this is a lesson for all of us. There's not anyone in here that's, a, that's immune to this. Look at 2 Samuel uh, second, uh, chapter 1. We'll start with verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba, but David remained in Jerusalem. Let me stop you right there. All right? Remember... Israel is a theocracy. They were fighting God's enemies. This isn't just a regular country going out and engaging themselves in enemies of Israel. They're fighting God's fight. These uh, countries that they were fighting against were guilty of sin. God had given them a time to forgive their sins. And many of them had never have not forgiven themselves. And God was using Israel as his rod. And so what does David do? He knew that they had to go out and engage the enemy. It's the springtime. Instead, what does he do? Yo, you guys go. Go ahead. I'll be here back at the palace. I got important work to do. Got important work to do. We don't have computers then. But my work is up on the roof of the palace. 
I got to do some research up on the roof of the palace. Really, Brother David, what is that that you have to do? Verse 2. Here's the research on the roof of the palace. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Now, let me stop you there and tell you this, that the roof of the palace uh, where he was was the highest roof in Jerusalem. It was a precipice by which he could look down into all the other houses around. He could see clearly into every single other house. And so when he got up at night and walked around, he wasn't just going up for exercise. You understand? He wasn't going out to exercise his legs. He wasn't going out to get a, a breath of fresh air. There was evil in his mind. Evil and lust. And this is what happens. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. I love the way the Bible phrases things, don't you? You have one, you have one sentence there in which you could write a novel. Do you think it was the first time he went up to the roof? It was the first time. This just happened by accident. I was just walking around. No, he had made multiple trips up to that roof. And don't you think he knew about her house? He spied that house out. I'll guarantee you this was going on for weeks. Weeks. Going up there, taking a look. He probably knew exactly when she took a bath. When she was out there and he was up there taking a good gander. You understand? Do you see? At that moment right then, that's when God says to you, stop. Don't go. Don't look. Ask God to come into your heart to take this thought away from you. Remove it from your heart. It's like Achan. Don't you think when he saw the silver, he saw the ornaments. Don't you think if he had asked God, God, help me. Take this away from me. No, oh, I want it. I want it. I like it. It looks good. Oh, yeah. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Oh, she looks good. She looks good. And I'm sure he was up there multiple times. I'm sorry if I'm offending you. You know, if, if you think that, that when I speak like this, it's too graphic. But I'm going to tell you something. This is how God wants to speak to your heart. I don't want you to think that everything that we study is on some high metaphysical level. Oh, yeah. We're talking about the great metaphysical truths of life. No, we're not. God is teaching us that, that what it takes to be free of sin is right there in the dust. The things that we struggle with as men every single day of our lives. God lays it out. That's why Achan felt, I want the gold. I want the silver. I can hide it. He won't know about it. I want Bathsheba. I want her in my life. I want to violate uh, God's will. I don't care. Here's the thing. I don't care about God on this thing. When that lust comes into your heart, when that covetousness comes into your heart, you almost say this. I know what God says, but you know what? This is really appealing to me. You know, this really appeals to me. And maybe I can just do it this one time. How's that? It'll only be this one time. After all, what can one time hurt? You understand? Just this one time. And so you see him up there on the roof. Then he sends somebody to find out about her. What that means is find out if she's available to me. That's what that translates out. Right? The man said, isn't that this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came 
she came uh, to him and he slept with her. There it is. There we go. There we go. Just like Achan. She slept with him. And guess what? The next sentence says, and she got pregnant. Oh, I'm sure that was planned. But you see what happens? That's what, that's what the slide starts. That's how the slide starts. And so what you see here is you see here, you see how simple it is to fall into sin. And, and now the difference between David and Achan is enormous. Yes, both committed sin. Both violated God's will. But the difference was this. David openly confessed and repented. And we can go through. There are Psalms written by him in which all he does is pour out his heart to God to forgive him. That he broke God's heart. That he couldn't believe what he did. You don't ever see any of that from Achan. And so what you see and you understand here is that God will forgive you. Even in these acts that you do that violate God's will, if you come to your senses and you say, Father, forgive me, Lord. Give me the wisdom to understand. Help me not to do this. One of the things that I ask God all the time to do is I always pray this prayer, especially the last couple of years. Lord, help me not to do something to destroy your ministry. I mean, you're probably saying, well, that's a wacky prayer. What are you making that kind of a prayer? Because I'm perfectly capable on my own, of wrecking this. I can wreck this. I can wreck it so simply that it would make your head spin. All right? In my conduct, in my language, in the way I live, I could wreck it. I'm perfectly capable. I don't want you to go think about, about people that God uses. Oh, they're different, they're pious, they're holy, they're righteous. I won't ever go down that path. If God is seeking to use somebody, he's using them because he's determined that there's gifts that he's given them that he wants to use. It doesn't mean that they're holier than you or more righteous than, than you. You need to pray for people like me because I got a big target on my back. Don't you think Satan would like nothing better than to drag somebody like me down? Don't you think so? Oh, that'd be great. You know, inevitably you see that these guys that lead these big churches or you see these televangelists. And you see the guys that lead thousands of people. And inevitably, what do you find? You've, inevitably, it's either going to be money or sex. Is that it? I think that's pretty much it. It's money or sex. You're either putting your hand in the till of church, all right, and, and getting airplanes. I saw this week incredible uh, article on, uh, on the video in which two so-called preachers are discussing why they both needed private jets. Uh, and, and the basic answer was that there were demons, regular demons in the aluminum tubes that people like you and I fly. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's why you need that Gulf Stream. That Gulf Stream will keep out those demons. You understand? This is what happens. Don't you see? That's, that's part of the sin pattern. That's lust, greed. I want it. I should have that plane. I need it. So it's either money or sex. Sex, unfortunately, you'll see time and time again that a guy will wind up getting involved <laughs> and inevitably it's with some woman in the church and or some cases it's multiple women with the church. You know, we've recently seen examples on the east coast of Florida with some of the biggest churches in America where that's happened and, and the church collapses and honest people are, are turned off and people walk away from church. Why? Because somebody 
fell to sin. And that's the point. That's the point. So don't ever think that you're immune. Oh, John, why are you spending this time on a lesson like this? I'm 85 years old. I can barely get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I know. You're 85 years old, but you can still read. You can still see. You still got an eyeball. All right, I know. You don't have to tell me. I understand, and God knows it. So you're not conning John Garippa. You're not conning John Garippa. You're conning yourself. Really, don't go down there. That's why God has given this lesson to us today, to understand the nature of it and see what sin does. This is what Achan did. Oh, nobody will find out. I'm going to hide it in the, in the tent. Nobody will see it. And so confession without repentance or a genuine change of mind is hollow. Save your breath. God doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. And I, and I will say this to you. I want you to understand what God was doing to the Jewish people as he brought them into the promised land. Do you think God was going to leave the individual Jews alone? Each one of those Jewish people were going to wind up getting their own home. They were going to have a place to live on their own. God was going to establish them. And so instead of waiting for God to give all that God promised him, he decided, you know what? I'll do my own thing first. I'll do my own thing first. And so we're, he's right. God goes through this elaborate process that took certainly several days in which he's going through clan by clan and tribe by tribe, waiting for the guilty party to confess and repent. And what do you see? No repentance, no confession, only when he finds out. I mean, that's, you understand how God views you. You understand it. Yeah, and, there's, and right here, right to the end. Right to the end when they're going to take him out and stone him and his whole family and his animals and his children. And we're going to get into what that means. But but you see, you see the whole thing that that he never came to terms with his sin. Uh, and so what you understand here is you look at the pattern. Look at the pattern of the sin. Why did he sin? Yes, certainly he didn't have God in his heart. But even more so, what do we see here? We see the desire for things, the desire for materialism, the desire for position, the desire for power, for prestige, for pleasure, for possession, for praise or audience. How's that? Any, any of those titillate you? Any of those in, in your wheelhouse? All right. Any of those? All of it. All of it is idolatry. All of it. All of it. If you're going around and looking for applause or praise uh, and you're looking for significance in the world, uh, instead of asking God what you want me to do, you're outside of God's will. You're outside of God's will. And this is important to understand as men who believe that they're saved and, are want, and want to serve God and want to be blessed by God. Jeremiah, there's a great session, a great citation in Jeremiah when he talks about why the people are are lost, and why ultimately they will be taken away in bondage. And God says this, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, to you for themselves, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. How about that? Is that well said? They've forsaken the fount of living water, Life ever after to go and do their own thing 
dig their own cisterns to hold water, and those water those cisterns are broken. They don't hold water. It's a failure. And so uh, you see how the lust pattern of humanity uh, comes about uh, in, through our human nature, our faulty reasoning in every possible way. Turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. How do you like that? Can that be any simpler? The thoughts and processes of God are not the same as the thoughts of humanity. And that's why when you hear people talk, and I just scratch my head and I shake my head, well, I don't understand why God would do this. I don't understand why God would do that. And I want to say, well, excuse me, your puny mind, your puny carnal mind, you have a hard time understanding why the creator of the universe is doing something in a different way than your puny carnal mind can understand? What part of being a moron don't you get? I mean, honestly, don't you want to say that to people? You're, you're, you're right, you're right. You're grasping, you're grappling with the what God, the creator of the universe, and I love science because every time you, you pick up a science book, they've just decided that they've found a deeper part of the galaxy. You hear that? A deeper part of the galaxy. They've just decided now that they've, that they're, they've come back to find something that, according to the speed of light, was now something like within the first five minutes of the creation of the universe. And it's so far out. If I even told you how far out it was, you couldn't even, I couldn't even explain it in English. So many tens of thousands of light years away into other galaxies that we knew. Oh, I can't understand why God would do what he would do. Really, really. Why don't you read the Bible and see how God's ways are as far apart as your ways. There's nothing. There's no connection. There's nothing about them. And you understand, you understand that, that man's natural thinking is so far apart from God that it's, it's unbelievable. Look also at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so men that are without excuse. What does it mean? It means this, the divinity and the power of the sovereign God of the universe are so eminently clearly seen in the very creation that you are responsible to understand that that's who he is. You don't have to understand the physics of why the world revolves and every 24 hours there's a new day. Or why we spend 365 days around the sun. Or how we are in a perfect orbit with eight other planets, each where they are. Of course you don't understand it. You're not an astrophysicist and yet you get up and you, and you have the faith to understand that every day the sun will rise, the sun will set. You understand that. And so you get a sense for the power and sovereignty of God. And why you need to have your life in accord with his will in every possible way. And so what you see here is Achan, just like Eve, was dissatisfied 
was impatient and was so-called self-reliant. By the way, you know, I know we want to be self-reliant. We want to be able to be self-reliant, but be very careful. Be care very careful where that self-reliance puts you outside the will of God. And so here it is. God is ironically taking all of Israel into a new land to give them a new place to live where each one of them are going to have a new home. Effectively, it's going to be like heaven for them. And this guy can't wait. He can't let God do it his way. He's got to do it his own way. Uh, and, and so what does it lead to? It leads to sin. And it leads to failure. And it leads to defeat. Uh, and so you see this as an example to you in your life. Look, folks, we study the scripture in order to learn and have relevance in today's life. I'm not doing this as a historical lesson. I'm not up here talking to you about this because you're going to leave here with a greater understanding of the historical basis of the Bible. That's great. I want you to understand the Bible and understand the stories. But look, God is teaching us a lesson. I want you to understand what sin does. And I want you to see how sin starts and why it's a cancer that metastasizes itself in our bodies and in our spirit. And how even when you are saved, and this is the message to you guys, even when you are saved, that you grieve the Holy Spirit. You're not grieving the Holy Spirit if you're not saved. The only people that have the Holy Spirit to grieve are people that have accepted God. So let's understand that. So what does it mean? It means that even for saved guys, David was saved. David was God's man, and yet he fell like that. And that's the lesson to us today, to understand this in every part of our life. And we're going to see next week how God, after this judgment is rained on Achan, which I'll talk about next week, how they go back and revisit the city of Ai. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, Father, for the lessons that you've given us, for the words of encouragement. Lord, I ask you to bless our men. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life, the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.